Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. The author of this book knows exactly what's going to happen. Your plan individually, corporately, and the world. It's already been written. His plans for you are good, to prosper you, not to give you harm, and to bring you an incredible future. That's the only plan I want in my calendar. Now why, when the enemy's out here, what does he do? Well, he wants to dilute the word. Before coming to Christ, there may have been a time where some of us looked to horoscopes as a means for guidance. Looking back at these actions, we quickly realized the natural desire for guidance and fulfillment in our lives. In today's edition of Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark teaches us about the ultimate source of guidance and fulfillment, the living, breathing Word of God. In our study, we learn how God both inspired the written word and preserved it for those who seek truth. In a time of moral relevancy and subjective meaning to life, there's no better place for absolute truth than God's preserved word. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of this broadcast. Now here's Pastor Mark in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 with his continuing study entitled, The Standard, Be Perfect. The law, or scripture, it's eternal, it's totally true, it's powerful, and it applies to every area of our daily lives. Every area of our daily lives. Here's something so encouraging to me. You see, God's word is alive. It is powerful. It speaks to us. And you'll hear people say this. Pastor Mark, this is, a, this is like a 4,000 or at least a 2,000 year old book. I mean, that has no relationship to anything that's happening today. You couldn't be farther from the truth. This is as current, more current than the outfits you're wearing. It's fresh. It's up to date. If you're here this morning and there's a problem in your marriage, you have a decision to make this week in your life. You have a financial thing to do. Your child is sick. You have a decision over in this situation. There's a problem in a relationship between this person and this person. You don't know what to do with your life tomorrow. You don't understand purpose. I want to tell you, if you'll understand this book and go by it and understand the author of the book and he lives in your heart, you will live a purposeful, successful life. Every answer to anything that you ever have is right here. And I'm never embarrassed, I am never embarrassed by saying to you, if you bet your life on it, you're going to heaven with me, and you're going to enjoy the ride on the way there. You say, well, that's the law. 
in the prophets. That's the Old Testament. Is there any part of the New Testament that I can base my life on? Well, you watch. Let me read you a little bit from the Old Testament first. Psalms. David. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. How long is eternal? (laughs) Time dated? No. It's firm in the heavens. Psalm 19. David, again, the law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. David again, Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Well, what about the New Testament? Well, we move over to the New Testament. Now, of course, Jesus validated the Old Testament many times. Well, what about the New Testament? Listen, Jesus says in the book of Matthew, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So every word that Jesus speaks will never pass away. They're valid. Well, how many words does Jesus speak? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then, of course, many in the epistles and all the rest, because those people, the disciples, the people that wrote those books, what? Quoted who? Jesus. Then you hear this verse, and you know this verse very well. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul wrote to Timothy, All scriptures God breathed. All scripture. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. All scripture. What are they talking about with all scripture? Well, in those days, we had some of the gospels, maybe. We certainly had the oral writings, the things that were going through their minds. We have maybe an epistle or two. We had all the Old Testament. You say, well, that doesn't mean then. I mean, they're not validating all the other. No, no, no. Listen to First Thessalonians. Paul writing. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God from Paul speaking in those epistles after the gospel, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. So that means this statement, write it down. The Old Testament and the New Testament both claim the words of God are true. Both the old and the new claim that the words of God are true. So I can base my life on it. The principles that are there are eternal. They're not time dated. So we have today society and, you know, our Congress, our courts, our judges are trying to redefine marriage as an example. Well, you can't redefine marriage. It's already been defined by God. It's, well, Pastor Mark, man, you don't know the day we're living in. I mean, if you watch Channel 8 and a Desperate Housewives, that has nothing to do with it. It's already been time dated. One man, one woman, forever. That's it. That's it. Now, you think that's something. Wait till we get to lust and divorce and stuff that's coming up the next few weeks. Woo, we're going to have fun together. (laughs) Now, the statement I just made to you, You can trust the Bible. Satan hates. In our world today, there's hardly any absolutes. Oh, I don't believe that. What's your basis? I don't know. I just don't believe that. Well, I'm going to say to you this morning, the Bible is our basis. If it's there, we believe it. If it's not, who knows? I I put my life on it. I picked up something at the beginning of the year, and it was an advertisement for a book that this... uh, this, uh, astrologer has written her name is Susan I won't give her the last name but she says the year ahead in 2005 there's a huge thing in the USA today and she goes on and she says this 
The coming year promises to be extraordinary. 2005 will look and feel spectacular. It may turn out to be one of your favorite years of the decade. What is that? (laughs) Then she goes on and she says, the ball is in your court. Susan believes that even the most determined optimists need a plan to realize their dream. Knowing when to act and what to put on hold is essential. So she gives you this planning guide for the whole year. Well, here's it. Planning guide. Dieting. Your successful diet doesn't necessarily start on January 1. So in this book, she's going to give you the date that you should start dieting. (laughs) Feeling stuck in love? Here's when you're likely to find it. So here's the date you got to look for. Today, the love of my life is coming. (laughs) Number three, need inspiration? The date you feel the most creative. It's going to be on the calendar. If you do this, you will help to have a strategy to achieve your goals in the coming year. Now, why would people buy this book? Because they're searching for meaning and purpose and answers in life. My friend, Susan has, I don't know what chance it is, but it's very small of telling you what's ahead in 2005. But I want to tell you, the author of this book knows exactly what's going to happen. Your plan, individually, corporately, and the world. It's already been written. His plans for you are good, to prosper you, not to give you harm, and to bring you an incredible future. That's the only plan I want in my calendar. Now why, when the enemy's out here, what does he do? Well, he wants to dilute the word. And we have all these liberals around. And of course, you know, they make fun of the Bible and so forth. We have all these cults out there. Jehovah Witness who don't understand at all what God's word says because their their doctrine is terrible. We have the Mormons. Now, you know, years ago, the the Mormons are wonderful people. Jehovah Witnesses are wonderful people. They're just totally deceived. The Mormons, a few years ago, if you watch their commercials, you never saw a Bible. All you saw was the Book of Mormon. Well, then all of a sudden they heard that we talked about that. So now they start with the Bible. You watch it. The Bible will be right there. And their commercials are incredible. And then right after the Bible, they move it aside. And here comes the Book of Mormon. I want to tell you, there's no need for the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is garbage. Just from some man who wrote it that has no clue about God. So what does Jesus say? The Bible is the final authority in all things. The truth can change anybody's lives. It's powerful. It's active. Obey the Bible. Live the Bible. Teach the Bible. So here's what you want to write. Followers of Jesus must obey and practice from the heart all the commandments of God. All the commandments of God. Now, I want to do it from my heart. You say, well, what are the commandments of God I have to obey? Now, get this very clearly, and I think it would be very simplified for you. The law contained three things in those first five books. It contained moral issues, civil issues, ceremony issues. The only part of the law, really, that we're associated with, that we obey today, are the moral things. Ten commandments, those kind of things. We still obey those. Again, they're repeated even in the New Testament. Why don't we obey the civil things? Well, because our society has totally changed. We don't have the same kind of deal they did in those days. What about the ceremonial? What were the ceremonial things that the Jews had to do? Well, the ceremonial things were all about one thing, sacrifices mostly. Well, we don't sacrifice 
You know, when you came and, and asked forgiveness for your sins today, you didn't have to cut an animal and shed the blood. No, we have what? The cross. The cross. So Jesus later on, he just says to us, you obey what I teach. You can see that in Matthew 28. You obey everything I've commanded you. And then lastly, he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So what do I obey? Well, I obey the moral issues all through the Old Testament. I believe all the things in the New Testament because they have to do with today. The ceremony things, the Sabbath, the Sabbath was never for uh, Christians anyway. It was just for the Jewish people. And of course, we don't believe that. We don't need it because Jesus was that. Now, here's the problem. Jesus said up there, if you love me, obey all my commandments. Remember at the beginning of this service, I think a few of us had our hands raised. Where's the problem? How can I obey? And that brings us to verse 20. Look at it. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this was an incredible, shocking statement to the Jewish people. And of course, a slap in the face to the religious Jews. Why? The religious Jews spent all their life to the smallest detail trying to keep the law. The average person said, as they watched these Pharisees, I'm not even trying. And so Jesus says, here's something very important. Look back at this verse. I want you to circle something. Look at the end of verse 20. You will certainly not enter, circle it, the kingdom of heaven. So what does Jesus say to these people? He says this. If you don't do better in obeying the law than your religious leaders do, They're not going to heaven, and you're not going to heaven. Well, the thing that should come to my mind then is, who could go to heaven? I mean, the most religious people, the most incredibly religious, they kept everything right down to the bottom. They're not going to make it to heaven? Well, I'm not even close to them. So I guess I'm not going to go to heaven. That's because Jesus had to clarify the law. Let me show you the principles. What did the law require? The law required perfection, perfection, absolute perfection. Matthew 5, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, the law was good. It was never intended to bring salvation. It was to show man that he couldn't do it on his own. So if you go to the beach this afternoon or barbecue a little later or whatever, and you talk to people, neighbors or whatever, and you say, hey, what did you do today? Well, I went to church, and we talked about the law and how to get to heaven. Oh, yeah, really? And you might say to them, well, you know, when you die, why, how will you get to heaven? Most people are going to say this. Well, I'm, uh, I'm a pretty good person. And actually, my, my good outweighs my, my bad, so I'm going to heaven. And you can say to them kindly, uh, no, that's not going to work. And they might say to you, Well, compared to that person there, I'm really a good person. That's why I'm going to heaven. Here's the standard. What is the standard? Perfection. 100%. No errors. No hands when I ask the question. Perfect for life. Well, you say, really? Well, look at James. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point, remember the law, the law, is guilty of how much of it? Tell me. All of it. Now, let me show you an illustration. Here's a rescue hop helicopter. You're out at sea. Your boat's collapsed. You're in the water. You're about to drown. Here it comes. 
It comes out to you. It drops a rope down. There's the rope. There's 10 rungs on that rope. We'll call them the commandments. There's 10. Now, what's the standard of perfection? We're going to use the helicopter as salvation or heaven. That's, that's where you want to get to. That's only you're drowning. And so what do most people do? They start doing what? Good works. They just work at it, whatever. Or they're keeping the Ten Commandments. How are you going to get to heaven? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I did, I did better this day than yesterday. I did good. You see, if you blow one of them, you've blown them all. Is there any chance of that person ever getting in the copter? No. Because you, you have to admit this morning, you're not perfect. The hands went up earlier. So where does that leave us? That says that man can't get to heaven by the law. You can never be good enough because the standard isn't like 99.99999. The standard is 100 and we're dead. You see, if one of those rungs breaks, the ladder's useless. Any one rung, the bottom one. If you break the bottom one, you now can't reach the second one. If you break the top one, obviously. So where does that leave us? It leaves us to the exact principle, what Jesus was trying to say. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, and how appropriate, fallen short of the glory of God. That means that every person is a sinner with no hope of heaven. Now you say, well, why did the God give a law like that? Thanks a lot, God. You tell me to obey your commandments and then you say it's got to be perfect and you know we can't be perfect? Why in the world did you give the law? He gave the law to show us we couldn't be good enough. And we needed somebody to be good enough for us. Look at the next verse in Galatians. The law was our teacher to lead us until Christ came. So that through faith in Christ... We can be right with God. You see, the law drove us to understand that I would never be good enough. How good is good enough? Can't be good enough. The next principle you need to see is this. So the law was given to show us, number one, our sin. Perfect? No. And then our need of a savior, somebody to do it for us. To bring us to Christ. The law was good, but it could never make us right with Christ. God's whole purpose of the law was to show the people through the Old Testament, you can't be good enough. You can't keep it. That's why Jesus came. Remember, he came to fulfill, provide another way to be right with God. In Romans chapter 8, you're just going to see this for a second. I'll put it up just for a second. It'll, it'll be real clear to you. Look what Paul wrote, a Jew. The law of Moses, first five books of the Bible, could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent his own son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroys sin control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law, and what was the requirement of the law? Be perfect. Would no longer be fully accomplished for us. Would be fully accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. So why did Jesus come to take your place, to take my place? Because we couldn't remember, except our righteousness exceeds. So what do you want to write this morning? Simply this going to heaven, getting there, eternal life 
is simply a gift that is received by believing in Jesus. None of us could ever be perfect enough. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross. By accepting his salvation, I become perfect in the eyes of God. His righteousness becomes mine. I get the guarantee of life here and, of course, eternal life in heaven. Christ took my sin and made me right with God. Now, you say, well, Pastor Mark, that still leaves me with a little question. You told me that if you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. How can I do that? I know I can't keep it perfectly. Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ, but I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved and gave himself for me. Last thing to write this morning is this. When Christ comes into your life, salvation, it gives me, gives me, person, right here, right now, as a Christian, the power to obey God's laws. Not because I have to. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I strive not in my own power anymore because I know I'd fail. But I strive in his power because God lives in me. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I have the power to say no. I can become like the Beatitudes. I can become like Christ. All of that is huge. Now, do I fail still? We raised our hand. We did, don't we? Let's say we wiped all those sins off and I ask you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. And I start with the same questions. Would there any hands go up? Sure. So I have to ask forgiveness. But I'm in the eyes of God. I'm the righteousness of God. That's what's good. You say, well, we don't deserve it. That's it. It's grace. I don't deserve it, but I get it. I get it. Now, Jesus said, unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you'll never go to heaven. I want you to take a look at your life this morning in this group. And I want to ask you a question. Some of you out there are doing this. You're never going to make it. You say, well, how can I get to heaven if I can't do it by being good enough, keeping the Bible, memorizing, becoming a member, whatever? One way. I want you to understand, in that helicopter this morning, Jesus is extending his hand to you in the water, his nail-scarred hands, and he just says this, Take a hold, and I'll bring you aboard. That's what salvation is. It's a gift. You say, no, I'm just going to paddle around here, and I'll I'll find another way. Keep paddling. One day, you'll drown. You'll be gone. You won't have a chance of heaven. You say, well, then God's a bad God. No, God's done everything he can do. Your choice is to just reach up and go, I'll take it. It's a gift. I'll take it. It's the best offer you will ever get. It's free. It was paid for on the cross. Today in our message entitled The Standard, Be Perfect, Pastor Mark taught us about the one source that provides absolute truth and guidance for man, the written Word of God. In our study, we learned that no matter where we look for meaning and truth, we'll never find it outside of the Bible. So rather than looking to spiritual movements or daily horoscopes, Pastor Mark taught us to go straight to the Word of God. Maybe you're listening right now and God has placed a certain person on your heart that needs to hear this message. Or maybe you'd like to share it with all of your friends. 
There's a simple way to share this message. Log on to Lessons for Living Radio and click on the radio program option in the main menu. There, you'll find the Lessons for Living media player. In the Messages tab, simply click on today's date. Then you can share today's message directly on your Facebook page, Twitter feed, or send a link via email. You can even embed today's message directly. Again, to share today's message with friends and family members, log on to LessonsForLivingRadio.com. Click on the radio program button, then simply click on today's date. You'll find all the options to share. Next time on Lessons for Living, Pastor Mark will continue with us in this study of the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be reflecting on anger. In our study, we'll learn about some of the sources of anger as well as the dangers that our anger can lead to. Not only will we learn the importance of controlling our anger, but we'll also learn about the difference between righteous anger and the anger of man. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. Yeah.